Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we know you through your scriptures, that we no longer doubt that there is a creator and that you have come and spoken to us through your prophets and through your son. Lord, we thank you for the faith that you have granted us in yourself and in your scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would enlarge our faith in your word this morning as we look at it together. Lord, help us to really see that this is our Father speaking to us. And he has words of encouragement, words of instruction for us, so that we can live more holy lives before you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've come to chapter 13 of Hebrews now. It's been a long run working our way through the book of Hebrews together. And chapter 13 is where the book starts to get very practical in terms of what we should be doing with our lives. Uh, up to chapter 12, there has been a lot of doctrinal teaching, a lot of theological uh, understanding that we're meant to be comprehending as Christians, particularly about Jesus Christ. Uh, the book of Hebrews, we best understand as written to some people who were Jews, who had embraced Jesus Christ, but then had been tempted through, looks like some persecution that had come their way, to abandon Christianity and go back to Judaism, to no longer see Jesus as the Christ. And so the book of Hebrews has been reminding its readers again and again that Jesus is the Messiah and he is superior to everything that has come previously, that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the great high priest, he is the great sacrifice that can actually atone for sins. He is greater than Moses, he is greater than Aaron, he is greater than all the prophets that have preceded him, he is superior to the angels themselves. And so he should be followed. And so as we come to chapter 13, we've been encouraged to keep our eyes trained on Jesus, to keep trusting in Christ, and now we are told to as to what we should do if we are Christians, what we should be doing practically. And so we read in verse 1 this instruction from our Lord that we are to keep on loving each other as brothers. There is this command that is throughout Scripture to love one another and to love one another as brothers. We're meant to see each other as the family of God. We're meant to display brotherly love to each other. But then very quickly in verses 2 and 3, the author goes on to speak about two groups of people in particular that need our love and attention in a particular way because they are quite vulnerable people. They are people in vulnerable situations. It's easy to love people who can repay you. It's easy to love your friends. Sometimes very easy to love family members. If you get on very well with your family, it's easy to love them. But it's difficult to love those who can't do anything for you, for those who may actually bring harm into your life if you go about loving them. And so it's human to love those who can repay you, but it's actually divine to love those who can't repay you, because that's what God has done for us. We can give nothing to him, but he has loved us. He has loved us while we were his enemies, gave us Jesus Christ. So who are the two groups of people that are given to us in verses 2 and 3, the particularly vulnerable people that we should display love to? And the first group that we see in verse 2 are people who are strangers, Verse 2, I encourage you to have a Bible open before you and look with me now at the text. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, 
for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. There's a particular command here to God's people that they are to love strangers. Now, why would you need to love strangers in particular? Well, in the first century, it was very difficult if you went travelling from one place to another to be in safe conditions. Uh, they weren't, in, if you stayed in public inns, they were actually fairly dangerous places to stay in. They weren't uh, the nicest of places. They were often immoral places. They were often brothels um, that you would be staying in, and so there'd be all kinds of immorality going on. There'd be dangers that you could get robbed while you were there. And so if you were going to another town and you didn't know anyone in that town, you didn't have any family there, it was quite dangerous for you to travel in that city. You're always not sure where you were going to stay and what would happen to you. And so the, the Christians here are told to keep an eye out for strangers, particularly brothers and sisters who may be coming to town and need a safe place to stay. Now, we in the 21st century have very safe and cheap, often, accommodation when travelling, uh, particularly when you travel in Australia. And so not knowing anyone when you travel to Melbourne isn't that big a deal for you. You're not really required, uh, you don't really need other Christians in Melbourne to put you up for the night so that you'll be safe. And in our country, a lot of people who are needy, who just need a place to stay, who need a meal, are often supported by government aid. We're in a very blessed country in comparison to the first century. But some people still do need our help. It's not like this verse is irrelevant for us then, that when it says, do not forget to entertain strangers, that, oh, well, that doesn't apply to us in this 21st century. No, there are people who are strangers to us in Australia and overseas who do need our help from time to time. And they may even be brothers and sisters in Christ who need our help. And many refugees overseas who are Christians and who do need a place to stay. They do need somewhere safe to be. They do need meals to be provided for them in Christian love. But it also can apply, I think this text uh, is talking specifically about strangers, but the concept is of those people who are in physical need. And so we have to remember that sometimes our friends and our family and church members and people who are around us may need physical care as well, as the strangers do here that have been described in verse 2. But sometimes people do simply need a roof over their head, they need a meal, they need some clothing, they need a little bit of money because they're in desperate circumstances. And so the Bible is encouraging us to not forget them, to always remember them and to love them as brothers. So that's the first vulnerable group, that's verse, from verse 2. The second group of vulnerable people is in verse 3. <clears throat> verse 3, we read, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. The second group of vulnerable people are those who are in prison or being punished in some way. They're being mistreated, it is said there in verse 3. And so the primary reference from this verse would be to remember those people who are in prison for being Christians. As we see in chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, we looked at it a couple of times now, we see that some people were even being in prison for the faith. They were following Jesus Christ and were being put in prison as a result. And so the primary reference here is for those people who are in prison for being believers. But we should also remember that those in prison who are there for 
other matters, not for their faith, for criminal acts, still need our love as well. They are vulnerable people that need our love, and many of them are brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them are converted once they arrive in prison. They've been there for a few years, maybe. And then they become Christians, and we need to remember them. Why? Well, the conditions of prisons have generally been fairly terrible in history. They're often dark, damp, filthy places without proper food or clothing, and they're often dangerous places. People go into prison and they don't come out, not because they've got a life sentence, but because they're actually killed in prison or injured in some way. And in our country, thankfully, there's been different prison reforms that have come through, often spearheaded by Christians, that have been able to make conditions in prisons better for those who are there. But prisoners are often vulnerable because people simply don't like to think about them, that the world likes to forget those in prison. And so then they're they're not provided for in the way that they should few people will speak up for them. It's interesting, I was uh, met up with an old uh, podiatry friend, uh, so someone that I went to uni with, trained with, and they're now working as a podiatrist, and I caught up with them, we were talking about uh, what's been happening in our lives and this kind of thing, and I mentioned that I'd, um, that week, had been over to uh, one of the prisons in Sydney to visit someone. And this, per- and I said, it was, it's always interesting going in there and, and seeing the big heavy doors and then they open very easily for you to go in and you're always a little apprehensive of whether they'll open on the way out uh, because there's no way you can open those doors uh, if they don't want to let you out. And I was speaking about this and, uh, and she just said, oh, look, can we not talk about prisons? I said, oh, okay. And she said, yeah, I just don't like thinking about criminals. And she just shut down the conversation altogether. She was just not interested. And this is someone who works in healthcare who you think would be very interested in those who are vulnerable. But she was not interested, clearly not interested, in talking about those who are in prison. And I know uh, another conversation, one person in our church who does uh, Crossroads Prison Ministry, which is a ministry that we support where we send in uh, Bible studies. Uh, Bible studies are sent uh, to prisoners. The prisoners then send them out, and we have different volunteers to mark those. Uh, Crossroads gets different people from different churches to do it. They're always needing more people to mark those Bible studies that come out. And so there's a few people in our church who do it, And one of these people who is an examiner in our church who marks the Bible studies mentioned it to somebody at another church and said, oh, your church, I'm sure it's a a very large church in comparison to our church. I'm sure there'd be lots of people who would be interested in doing it. And a lot of them are retired people at your church. I'm sure you'd be able to get quite a few people there to do the Bible studies, to have these prisoners send them Bible studies. And this other Christian at another church just said, yeah, I don't think people in our church would really like to have contact with criminals. Just straight off the bat. This is someone that I would generally respect as a fairly faithful, God-fearing Christian. Just totally not interested in supporting criminals and looking out for them. And this is criminals who are doing Bible studies. you think these would be the ones that most Christians would have a priority for. But this is the way the world operates. They don't want to remember such people. But the Bible wants you to remember such people. It says there, remember those in prison because the world likes to forget and we like to forget as well those who are in prison. We'd like to just shut the doors, those big heavy doors, and then forget about them altogether. But the Bible says, do not. 
look out for them. And I think we can make an even broader application from this to those who are imprisoned, not in the most obvious ways, but are nonetheless imprisoned, imprisoned in hospitals, in nursing homes, in psychiatric wards, are bed-bound in their own homes. They're imprisoned. Why? Because of health reasons. That they can't get out. They're no longer able to do the things that they used to do. And so, in one sense, they are imprisoned. And we need to remember them. The world likes to forget them as well. It likes to put people in a nursing home, close the door, and then we never see those people again. Some family members do that to some of their own parents. They put them in a nursing home and that's it. They never see them again. And those poor people are imprisoned in those places and the world wants to forget them. But the Bible says in verse 3 there, remember those in prison. Yes, there's a primary application to those who are in prison, uh, the general sense of prison, the jails. But I think we can take a broader application from it as well. So how can you provide for such people? How can you look after such vulnerable people? How can you love them as you're instructed to do so there? Well, it's not rocket science. I think we can all work out very quickly as to how we can help these people. You can provide immediate care of what you can, a meal, a little money, somewhere to sleep for a few days, a ride to church if they're imprisoned in the nursing home and they've got no one to bring them along, take them out to get their shopping. It's not that hard to work out what you can do. Others just need a little word of encouragement, a visit, a letter. That's what Crossroads Prison Ministry does, sending letters into these people. It's communication with them. And it can often keep them sane as they're there in those small rooms that they have contact with the outside world. And you can be involved in that by sending them a letter. You are remembering those in prison. You can also lobby kings to help the vulnerable. We don't have a king over our country at the moment. We have a queen, but nonetheless, she doesn't have much power. Uh, But we can lobby the governments. We have a prime minister, members of parliament, Sometimes we do need to lobby them. We as a church sometimes have lobbied our parliament to remember refugees overseas and to make a place for them in Australia. We have signed different petitions that have come through, particularly remembering our brothers and sisters, Christians, who need somewhere to be. And of course, one way that we can love those who are vulnerable is to lobby the king of kings to help them. Yes, we lobby the human kings here, but we should lobby the king of kings. We can do things physically for those who are vulnerable, but sometimes we're we're beyond our means to help them. And so we need to come before God in prayer so that God can miraculously intervene as only he can. And we've done that in our church. There's been times where we have in this church prayed quite constantly for particular judges in this land to be favourable in their judgments in particular cases. And we know that, yes, we can write reference letters, we can do all we want, uh, we can, to try and help the situation. But at the end of the day, it's only the Lord that can move the judge in a particular direction. And so that's why we come to the King of Kings out of love for those who are in prison, out of love for those who are in nursing homes, in hospitals, in psychiatric wards, where humans are at a loss as to how to help them. But the King of Kings knows how. And so we show love by going to God in prayer.
And that's why the prayer meetings I see on Sunday afternoons are so valuable, because we share with one another those that we know who are very vulnerable, who need the most help. We share with one another who are the strangers, people who visited our church, but other people outside the church that we don't know, only one person knows, but they bring to the meeting and they put the name forward so that we all pray for that stranger so that they would be provided for. Often spiritual care would be provided for them, that they would know Jesus Christ. But we also bring before one another those who are imprisoned in some way, whether it be an actual prison or whether it be that they're in hospital, whether they are in their own homes and struggling just to get out. And so we share those things with one another so that we then come before the King of Kings and do the best thing that we can and pray that God would help those vulnerable people. But it also, by coming to the prayer meeting, you actually find out who is needing your physical help as well. Not just your prayers, but physical help. You're told, you know, by somebody else there that you, you're not aware of it going on, but you find out that, oh, that person is in trouble. And so then you know to follow it up through the week with a visit, with a text message, a phone call, and see what you can do to help so in the end, I think it's not that hard to work out how you fulfill these commands of verse 2 and 3 of not forgetting to entertain strangers and remembering those in prison. As I said, it's not rocket science. And I know that many of you in this church are excellent at providing such care, that you do not forget to entertain strangers. You do not forget those in prison that you do care for one another and you care for strangers outside the church as well in innumerable ways. So the question isn't really for us this morning as to how we fulfill these commands, but the question really is how do we keep going? Because it's easy to lack motivation to help those who are vulnerable, to help those who are strangers, to help those who are imprisoned in some way. Because like the rest of the world, we have sinful flesh, it's still there, and it likes to forget, like the rest of the world, those who are weak. The sinful flesh, it despises the weak. It loves the strong, despises the weak. That is the way of the world, and we often get caught up in that as well. So how can you be motivated to help those people that you're commanded to help here in verses 1, 2, and 3 of Hebrews 13? Well, I've got two motivations for you this morning, and they both come from the text. First motivation is consider what it would mean for you to be a vulnerable person. Consider what it would mean for you to be a vulnerable person. And we see that in verse 3. It says, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. When you reflect on people in prison, think of yourself in that situation as though you were a fellow prisoner. Or as if you yourselves were suffering. The translation at the end of verse 3 there, that's given as if you, were, you yourselves were suffering, a more literal, it could be translated in a more literal sense of since you are also in the body. Now some people think that means oh, because since you are also in the body of Christ. But I think it's just being a little bit more simple than that. It's not trying to be metaphorical uh, with the body. It's just saying since you are also in a body. You know what it is like to be in a body. You know what it is like to experience pain. You know what it is like to be forgotten. So you put yourself in their shoes. 
we should consider what it would be like for us to lose everything and need some hospitality from somebody else, to need a roof, to need someone to provide meals for us. And it could happen all too easily. One day you may slip on some stairs, be injured at the neck and be paralysed from the neck down. And you're in a nursing home. Doesn't matter what age you are, you're there. And somebody else is feeding for you, feeding you. Someone is providing that roof over your head. Someone is even cleaning you. It could be you far too easily. And who will visit you in that nursing home? How will you feel when you are there? No one wants to live in a nursing home. Yes, some people, they eventually choose, yes, I want to go there. But they're forced to do so. They're forced that their health has gotten to a point where they actually say, I have to go there. And it may be you there. And so you should be considering what it's like to be in a body and what it would be like to be in that person's shoes. And so you should not do what the world does. You should remember those in prison. You should put yourself in their shoes. Or it may be that you make a serious mistake and you're actually imprisoned in a real jail. It wouldn't take much. All you have to do is get in a car when you're exhausted. You shouldn't be behind a wheel. You have a serious accident, kill a family of four, in jail for manslaughter. Who will visit you? How will you feel if you are in that prison? So do to others as you would have them do to you, is what we're told. And that means not forgetting the strangers and remembering those in prison. That's one motivation. Second motivation this morning, remember that your love can be to VIPs that your love can be to very important people. It may be angels that you actually help by providing care for someone that is a stranger. And that's told to us in verse 2. It says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Some people have actually entertained angels when they thought they were entertaining just a stranger just another human being, it was actually an angel. And the classic example is Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 where he provides for these people so immediately. These strangers come walking through and he provides hospitality to them and they are actually angels. So it may be that sometimes angels are like the food critics in restaurants that the chef's not meant to know about and he comes there and he sits there and he's from one of the papers in town and he eats the meal and then he rates it and if the chef had just known that that was the food critic they would have provided better care. But they just treated them as any old other person. Maybe that's what angels do. Sent by God, they come along and they're testing to see how you treat that person. But it may not just be an angel that you help. I think the Bible tells us that we need to remember that we 
when we show love to those around us, we actually show love to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that in Genesis chapter 18 that Jesus was present with those angels. That's a point of controversy if you know anything about Genesis chapter 18 as to whether the Lord that is present there is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, what I am talking about is the instructions from our Lord in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Turn with me there now, page 984. As I said a few weeks ago, when I tell you to turn to a passage in the Scriptures, this is a point to help you wake up a bit, uh, to, to look at the Scriptures together with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, page 984. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is teaching, and he says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Jesus is going to return. There's going to be judgment. He's going to separate the people. How is he going to separate them? We read in verse 34, Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. These are sobering words from Jesus himself. And he's not teaching works righteousness, that if you help the homeless, if you visit people in prison, that then you will be able to go to heaven. That shouldn't be your motivation. What Jesus is teaching is that if you do become a Christian, then you will do these things. The way to righteousness, the Bible is very clear, is by Jesus Christ. The righteous are ultimately righteous by trusting that Jesus Christ died for them and that his righteousness is now imputed to them. But if you are a Christian, then you actually start to show it by the way that you live. You actually start to love those around you rather than hate them. And so then your Christianity is proven true by your actions towards others. Because it's all very easy to say, yes, yes, I believe in Jesus. It's a whole other thing to actually love a stranger. 
to remember someone in prison, to remember someone who's sick, to actually get out your wallet and give some money to someone. Easy to say, I believe in Jesus. Hard to get out the wallet. But by getting out the wallet, you show that when you say, I believe in Jesus, it's actually true. So if you lack motivation to help the vulnerable, to help those who are sick, those who are in prison, to help strangers who really need someone to care for them, does Jesus know why? Does Jesus tell you why here in this text? It's because you're unsaved. You're not actually a Christian. See, the thing is, we've studied the rest of Hebrews chapter 12, and it's told us again and again about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and how he is supreme to everything that has come before. And so if you love Jesus Christ, if you've understood Hebrews chapter 1 through to chapter 12, then it's very easy to do what chapter 13 requires, to love others as brothers, even strangers and those in prison, because you know how marvellous Jesus Christ has been to you. And if you understand what it says there in Matthew chapter 25, then it's very easy to help those who need help because you know that as you help them, you're actually helping that person who helped you so wonderfully in paying for your sins. That whatever you do for the least of his people, you do for him. He sees what you do. No one else may see that person that you help. There may be a stranger that walk into your life and walk straight out and never have any contact with you or anyone else around you again. But Jesus sees, and he treats it as an act of kindness to him. He takes it very personally. And so I encourage you this morning, if you lack motivation to help those who are vulnerable, maybe it's time for you to examine your own heart and see whether you are actually a Christian or not. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Have you repented of your sins? If you find that you are lacking in trusting Jesus Christ, and that is shown by your lack of love to others, then I encourage you this morning, trust in Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to him now. Believe that Jesus Christ is your high priest and that his sacrifice at the cross is your sacrifice. And then go out and start to love people as you should. And if you are a Christian, I encourage you, keep putting your faith into practice. Don't forget to entertain strangers. Remember those in prison because that authenticates that you truly are saved. And it's one way that you can actually help your Saviour. Not that he needs your help, but you can show love to your Saviour. Show Jesus how much you love him by helping the least of these, so that on that great day, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels are with him and he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, he will look at you, and say to you, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Let us speak with our God.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've brought us to this place this morning to hear from your word. And we thank you for all the times that you have helped us to not forget strangers and prisoners and to help them in different ways. But Lord, we must confess that we have not loved the vulnerable as much as we could. That there have been times when we have walked past those that we could have helped, when we've said no to those who need us. So, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us through Jesus Christ for not loving as we should. And, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us this morning with a love for Christ. May he be our motivation because of what he has done for us that we then seek to love as brothers, particularly those who are vulnerable. Oh, Lord, we know that the vulnerable people of this world are so easily forgotten, even by our society, an affluent society that has so much to offer. They love to forget. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would not, because we know that every act of kindness from us is done to yourself. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.